Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Ebony and Irony podcast. We have a rare treat for you today. That is, Monet is still sick. (laughs) I'm kind of hoping that she never gets well, but we aren't going to miss her because we have a wonderful guest, and I found this description of her online and thought it was better than anything that I could write. Christine, and that's Christine with two E's, T-E-E-N-E, in case y'all hear this thing's voice and want to Google it immediately to know what it looks like. Christine is a human pissoir, you might need to Google that too, of raw, unabashed sexuality, a gender-blending, booty-pounding perversion of punk fully equipped with an arsenal of ferocious music intertwined with raw moments of strained intimacy and fiery stank. Reports from live shows describe Christine appearing alongside two sexually distinct backup boys, with a Z, macabre scenes involving butt plugs tied to bouquets of balloons being released from the singer's ass, intimate and bizarre confessionals, wardrobe styled from the forgotten scraps of society, and heated communication on the state of the world as we know it. Please welcome Christine! Hey, bunny. Hey, girl. <laughs> that intro is very grand indeed. Well, I will send it to you in case you didn't uh, need it. it was yeah, I didn't even... by... 
it, it was written by someone called a Christine Scholar because I was looking. Christine has a new album out called Midnight yeah. Fuck Train. Yeah. And um, I was looking to see if um, you had lyrics. You know, because you could Google anybody's lyrics. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, I don't know if mine, uh, I didn't Google my own, but you have, uh, someone took the time to put your lyrics up online. <laughs> oh, so they're out, they're up there. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously not as many sites as would put, you know, Beyonce or Taylor Swift, but, you know, oh, no. I was, I was able to, not yet. Not yet. A Taylor's still alive. I'm working on that. And then, uh, <laughs> And then I'll take her place, and they'll fill up all those holes with my beautiful lyrics for the children. Well, there was um, some flap recently with, I guess, Ticketmaster had a glitch, and and all of these people were not able to get tickets to Taylor Swift. But was that... Okay, I didn't understand that. Was it a glitch? Or, like, from my understanding, like, Ticketmaster is, like, the mafia of tickets, right? Yeah. So, like... They, they had this because I don't read that shit but I just took away my own understanding that like the tickets were so expensive that all of her little shitty friend followers couldn't get tickets but then they actually had a glitch to where people couldn't access that shit well I'm not super familiar with it um, I do feel sorry for her fans that did get tickets and paid I do too. That's what I feel. I feel sorry for her acoustic guitar and her fans. All of those. All of those things. Oh God. I mean, damn. no. I, I. I. The upshot I think was that you know Ticketmaster, you know, like some of these bigger touring companies, kind of behave as a mafia. Yeah. I mean, as like as if. Like some senators are looking into some laws saying Ticketmaster and other ticket places should not be able to do what they're doing. Yeah. Ticketmaster is is over eighty percent of all ticket sales, so that that's not a monopoly. Also, yeah, what there, there was also I think it was in the Obama years that there was a merger between Ticketmaster and what's the other one? World. Uh, uh, what's the big old ticket? Live Nation. Live Nation. Didn't they? They merged together, didn't they? Yes, and I, and, and Live Nation is, you know, I mean, they they now many many large venues are associated with. Their, I mean, they're Live Nation venues. So if you're not, I, I, I'm not exactly sure of the rules, but I do remember hearing many years ago when. Um, Madonna signed a record deal with Live Nation. I remember that too. And and what the like I said, I'm a little bit fuzzy on this, but what I think the upshot of it is is that um, it it helped her because she could sell records at her concert, but the deal became the basis of other deals whereby the artist for the first time got less of their merch sales. Uh-uh. So I've, so I've heard, you know, because, you know, with the typical big label deal, 
um, and probably small label deals, you know, you have to pay back the record company for any videos, publicists, you know, outfits, stylists, or whatever. And so merch has traditionally been the way that a lot of artists make 100% of that money. And uh, yeah. now they don't. And I've heard Bianca bitching about this, even uh, refusing to tell, sell T-shirts at some of her shows because the they want 40%. Oh, yeah. I I've, I've played with a couple of people. So I was touring with Peaches, and we were playing a venue in Los Angeles, and they uh, wanted to take a chunk of my merch sales, and I told them, fuck no, and they were raising a stink about it. But when they saw my merchandise and that it was butt plugs and it was, like, strange homemade shit, they uh, decided not to take a percentage, and they also <laughs> wore... They also get this girl. They 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 wanted the venue had to sell your own. They had to sell the merch for you. You couldn't bring in a friend. And all of the people at the venue who were selling my merchandise wore rubber fucking gloves. <laughs> well, so not only now, I got it all. Now, Christine, did you did were these advertised as used butt plugs? I never. I don't like to get that descriptive. I like people to use their <laughs> natural, naturally given imaginative minds and understand that it could be used. It could be my butt. It could be my dog's butt. I don't care. Okay. Well, just as a helpful hint, the darker toned butt plugs and dildos do hide shit stains. I, I, oh, I know that for a, I know that is <laughs> a golden rule, my love. I mean, I mean what, what am I thinking? Of course you know that. I mean, that's just... Well, I always do this on stage. I would do this very Houdini moment where I'd pull it out. If I knew I was having a night, because when you're on tour and I'm eating stuff like you eat every day, <laughs> um, I, I, pulled, I pulled that plug, many times I pulled that plug out of my butthole and I knew it was coming out with a factory of fudge on it. And I would secretly, quickly Houdini that poo-poo onto whatever top I was wearing and then throw it into the crowd because I took my tops off a lot during the show, so it would eventually come off. Oh, so wait, are you admitting that your tops and your show gear is so smeared with filth that turds that you smeared on it from a dildo that came out of your ass would just fit right in? Yeah. Because that, to me, is art. Yeah. <laughs> Get them rubber gloves on. Go to town. <laughs> so, speaking of things coming out during your uh, performances, sometimes, I mean, let, let's just say that you're not uh, the world's best tucker. Oh, hell no. I don't do that. Who the fuck would want to put tape down there on their nunu? No, thank you. I don't tuck it. I don't tape it. I'm very proud to sling it around. D does it come out at every show, or is that just special shows? No, I I will always... If, if, if a song is working me up, which it usually does, I love to pull out my, my dick and swing it around. And, and I like to grab it at the base and do the kind of the helicopter with it. Okay, well, I've seen you in performance, and that is a very petite helicopter. It was... Well, <laughs> <laughs> started dog whenever you know I was gonna write a song and you probably know all about this called Panty Dick and 
when you put panties on your dick, it's almost like jumping in a swimming pool. It gets very petite. Oh, honey, you don't have to tell me about the the the, <laughs> the, 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 the panty girdles and stuff that we wear. Yeah, you got a whole, you got a panty girdle, girl. Now, so when I saw you perform, uh. I think this was, if, unless it was that thing that we did in, in Austin, I think that this was before that or after that. But I saw you perform in uh, at, during Art Ball or Basel or however you say it. Oh, Art Basel, yeah. Is it Ball or Basel? I never get it right. I never. I, it's either Basel or Basel. Uh, well, I heard. I, okay, whatever it is, we're 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 obviously not very classy. Um, no, but uh, we. <laughs> but we love foreign tongue. Yes. Now, uh, I it was in a fashion presentation with a guy who's well known for hair, Charlie oh, Lemendu. Yeah, Charlie Lemendu. Mm-hmm. And he had all of these, you know, incredible visuals. Um, from other artists who were, you know, like, I mean, wigs that, that beat the band. I mean, they're like 10 times bigger than my wigs and they would turn into something else. I mean, it was, it was really, you know, creative, but it was, it, it was also in that fashion realm of somewhat stilted, you know, and then, then, then like, you're supposed to like this or you're not cool and then Christine comes out <laughs> and starts performing. And I mean, I'm not trying to cast aspersions on any of uh, Charlie Lemendu or any of the other performers, but I mean, your show stood out because you connect so much with the audience. And I don't know if that is just old fashioned stage presence um, or just the outrageousness of it connecting and and you know i mean it's seeing you live is potent uh, yeah I, I it is absolutely my number one favorite thing in the fucking world is more so than the song i love to sing but i love talking between songs like you don't you never shut the fuck up you we're probably going to talk here for 2 hours but i love uh, between the songs i love keeping the boat afloat in that room and connecting with that crowd. And I, I've got shit to say. So whatever the fuck's going on in the world, uh, whatever the fuck these people have been fed in their heads for so long, I really like to try to break all that shit down. So the shows are very mm, aggressive musically, but yeah, you're going to have, you're going to also spend a lot of time with me on stage and right now with the band. And we're going to fucking talk to you about some shit that's going on too. I mean, I wish I could have seen you and Peaches together because she really blew my mind a few years ago in San Francisco. I mean, she pulled out all the stops. So yeah, she's like, she's incredible. She's touring right now. It's fucking amazing. I mean, the people who show up to see her, the people who have stuck uh, with her all these years, and it's just the room is fucking lit when she gets up there, and she's got a hell of a production too. So. She don't fuck around with anything, and it was 
plugging into that was really fucking incredible. It was really good. Yeah, I, I mean, I saw her DJing once, and it was just like these huge outfits that she would put on. Um, you know, I, I mean, I, I act a fool and cut up when I'm DJing, but I mean, she, she was uh, like, like putting me to shame. She was like, just like huge. I can't even remember what it was. Huge things with wings. And anyway, she's, she's, yeah. um, she's too much. So your new album, Midnight Fuck Train. Yeah. What I, I, of course I did notice that you have done a remix of, Fix My Dick, which is from a previous album. Yeah, that was like the first song I ever made. Okay. I mean, I I think that one's going to be a smash because people love that song, and it kind of gave it more of a four-on-the-floor beat. You know, and, and I mean, I even heard a few chords in there towards the... <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the middle and, and a lot of your stuff well well for example this this record it has a up tempo rock flair not all the songs but you know several of them and before you had done you know like kind of like dirty south rap kind of sound yeah was mostly was, synthesizers yeah totally totally synth and uh, I mean I'm always I'm always exploring sound. I've always uh, wanted, I've slowly added components of musicians and slowly explored that shit because I don't see myself, I don't feel like I'm in the confines of being a quote musician, you know? Like I've, I do a lot of weird fucking shit. I don't want to just sit and do one thing and I get very upset when I hear other artists, musicians, friends of mine saying that they are not allowed to explore different sounds or feelings because what, their label or some shit doesn't want them to do that. And I like to keep myself in a free zone where I can really grow and explore shit. So, of course, I started out with some electronic things because that's all my ass could get my hands on. And I never, knew, I didn't know what I was getting my hands into. Mm-hmm. But now, over the years, of really embraced the fucking um, ability to work with some live musicians. And this album was, I think it's just a natural de-evolution of my sound and um, really finally getting to create things that are in my head that are now coming out of a saxophone. I'm really horny for a saxophone. I have two saxophone players. They're amazing. And a bunch of dykes on guitars. And it's just, really a different feeling to have all that together now, especially on the stage. It hits very differently. And it is very far removed from the first two albums, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you, you, there's strings in one song, I could swear. Yeah. And, uh, and and then one song is called Piano Song, where it's you against a, you know, more Shantuzi. <laughs> and that was the song, I wrote that fucking song on the piano. That's the first time I've done a piano song, so I'm really having a good time digging through very new rooms in my mind and trying to figure out how the fuck to share it with the rest of the world because it's expensive playing with a band. They will suck your money out, and I don't know how to fucking tour with these people. Well, I, I was reading one thing that said you were appearing in London on a with a 10-piece band, so... Do, do do you see yourself touring to tracks with this? Because there are so many 
too many instruments to tote on the road? No, that's the that, I think that's the biggest challenge right now because the world, as you know, has been turned upside down and it's all fucked up and nothing has well, nothing will ever go back to normal. There's no such fuck thing. But I've been listening to a lot of chatter in the music world and a bunch of people I know who tour musically and many people are not uh, buying tickets the way they used to. Nobody buys pre-sale tickets anymore because they, they don't want to commit to shit. A lot of people I know on the road are having difficulty with ticket sales and no one wants to commit. Everyone's broke as fuck. Mm. So it's very tricky right now. The I'm very much sitting back and watching everything and learning how I want to navigate this. And I think I never did want to just go on these long tours in a bus. I've never gotten in a fucking bus and toured around. I always kind of go location to location. And I also, I perform a lot in performative rounds, like Soho Theatre in London booked us for like three week runs. And she, I can I can dip my, my dick into like theatre rounds. We did Edinburgh Festival for a whole fucking month once and we were performing every goddamn night. But this was just me and my dancers, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so now with this band, I very much want to go and, and show this band off to the fans in London and Berlin and Amsterdam, all these places. So I'm starting to think about it. And I think the way to go or the way I'm looking at right now is kind of creating little residencies and like say, okay, I'm going to go to London. I'm going to find a shitty venue, maybe about 300 maximum capacity. And I'm going to plant my fucking ass in that venue for two weeks, maybe do like Thursday to Saturday or Wednesday to Saturday for two weeks and just plan it bang it out, let them come to us, and then hop over to another big city and do another little residency. Maybe four cities, bring it back home. And that's it. Yeah, I guess the challenge is always housing and uh, and transporting all of the band, right? Isn't that the, like, the yeah. biggest expense? That's the biggest fucking expense. But the good thing about, you know, in the United States, you can kiss a goodbye, it ain't going to happen. But like in Europe... They got the arts councils. They got all the theaters and all that shit. They actually give a fuck. So if I find an arts council or an organization in Europe that says, okay, we're going to fly all over here, you're damn right I could probably find some housing too. And I'm much more uh, able to visualize that and make that happen in Europe because they have the means and the fucking respect to do that to artists. Right. For artists. You know, one thing I wanna, just want to say about tickets that I have experienced um, yeah. during covid People will, like a show will sell out and then there will be empty seats. So I don't know yes. whether that's because people have come down with COVID or, uh, you know, and, and don't want to go out and spread it or whether they're they're not sure and haven't had a test or 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 whether people are have just been sitting around, you know, on their their butts. Not everybody, but those, you know, who have that kind of work from home kind of thing and they just they're not that like you said they don't they'll get a ticket but not commit to going that is that is exactly what's happening i have done that myself <laughs> like i i've bought fucking tickets to friends shows and i'm just like no not tonight i'm not doing shit tonight and i don't even feel the guilt of not going or losing that money i'm kind of happy that my friend is going to make that money but i'd rather have a fucking face in the crowd than a bill in my pocket but well that's actually not true i want both 
but yeah, um, I mean, well, I mean, also um, that you, when when someone buys a ticket and doesn't show up, then if there's like you know standing room or extra people who just show up at the door, they can get a ticket and you can get paid twice for that exactly. one seat. I, I'm, I mean, I'm not saying that this is a good development, but maybe that's a silver lining. No, it is. This, this is where we are right now. It really is. It's very tricky waters of navigation. Like for one, they're not buying. Most of them, in my experience, are not buying pre-sale like they used to. And then two. If they do fucking buy it, that does not guarantee you a full room to get crazy on. It just it, it, everything's unsure right now, and then put the topping, the the nasty glaze on top is that everyone's most people are fucking broke. Yeah. So yeah, it's really uh, a very tricky time. A very tricky time right now. Yeah. Speaking about England and the Arts Council, uh, yeah. I came across an article with you in the UK's Guardian. And while I was Googling it, I mean, there were like six full-length interviews in the Guardian. Are you one of those American artists like Josephine Baker uh, and uh, Dee Dee Bridgewater who made it better in in Europe? Eartha Kitt? Yeah. I mean, why do you... I mean, because I'm not seeing... I'm seeing you being taken seriously over in England, and I I don't know, maybe other countries too. And and I mean, I'm not saying that you're doing badly in in the States. You've certainly made a name for yourself, but it seems like um, it it, it seems like they're really into what you're saying. Do do you think you belong to like a post-punk um a vibe that they would that people in a country where punk de- punk rock music developed they still uh, crave a little bit of that rawness yeah i mean that's way that's how london went down for sure mm-hmm. um london really is one of the most special places we ever landed and got embraced by because it's really fucking cool that Many of the people who come out to the shows in London are are, are old nightlifers, uh, old punk scenes and shit, club scenes, and they come to the shows and it's like a fucking reunion. And it, they also many of them have not seen each other in a long time. Oh. So what you're saying is that in London, the quality of the crowd eclipses your lackluster performances. Absolutely, I look like Elizabeth. <laughs> I look like Elizabeth Taylor up there. Thanks to them. Shit. And the crap that they have been watching and shit, Lord, and eating. But um, it's really special over there. They look at it differently. And here it was like, it's very, um, people here, now it's different. I think after COVID and the lockdown, I spent a lot of time really connecting with some fucks over the Instagram machines and shit and making videos to make people feel better and get through addiction and all that crap where they were all going through. So I think I've developed and found some good folks in the United States now through those hard times that I'd really like to go visit, especially in the small towns. But over in London and Europe and all that shit, there's a different kind of way that they embrace this crap. And there is a very nice... Um, recalling of their wild days for many of the people who come to the crowd. Interesting. Okay, yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of what I get 
over there too. And I think that's why Kiki and Herb have been such a a, a hit in England. Yeah, totally. Because totally. they um, really there's a different way. There's a different way that they look at someone uh, when they look at a pig in a wig. They uh they really have a different way of approaching it, and they. They like to know what's going on underneath that wig or underneath that crazy outfit or when it when it's a persona or a personality or of such. They're very curious about the, the whole process of it. Whereas here they just want to kind of package it and shit it out. Mm, okay. Now, so let's talk about uh your lyrics, because obviously, you know, they're outrageous, they are sexual, they are primal. Um, but they, they do contain themes that are serious if you scratch beneath the surface. And since this, um, this, uh, podcast will air at the, you know, towards the beginning of December as we head into the Christmas season where you cannot go anywhere without seeing ads, tell us about, you know, your feelings of consumerism, which you warn against. Yeah, like in terms of like, like I just said, like stamping it, shipping it and packing it up and shipping it out kind of shit. Well, I mean, are, are you, are, are you, what is your concern? Is your concern that, um, that we are led by the nose by marketers and we're just buying stuff to make us feel uh, I don't want to put to, to make us feel like we're up to date or we're keeping up with the Joneses or we have the new iPhone or we, you know, I mean, what, because for, as a progressive, I'm always hearing, you know, like, boycott, don't spend anything on, you know, Black Friday. So there's definitely like a, like a, let's, let's hit the consumerism in the nose. And I'm, I'm never quite clear on that, but, you know, is it, is it uh, what? What is your issue with our consumer culture? Well, that is lurking it, in your lyrics. Well, I'm trying. I don't have my many of my lyrics are more personal, sexual kind of strange uh, fear of being oneself kind of directions. The consumerism is very. Yeah, like when I have a song called African Mayonnaise, and I was like. It's things like that where I get very frustrated about the way in which we consume. And, like, yeah, like many people are eating all of these turds that are just sugar-coated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the, the, the madness of, of uh, people um, consuming so much shit that is just so fucking sugar-coated and... I think that really bothers me for it bothered me a long time that people were this idea of uh I had a big problem with celebrity like how everyone all of a sudden became a celebrity overnight and and I was like well if if the Kardashians those fucking sugar-coated turds can be a celebrity I could be a celebrity and if y'all going to consume that then consume this you know uh my thing was like if you're going to eat that shit you might as well consume my shit and I and I kind of wanted to balance the scales in that way. Uh, I don't think so. That your we whole ca- recording career was inspired by the Kardashians being shit, <laughs> and you now pull butt plugs out of your state, out of your ass, and rub them onto your uh, costumes uh, in, in solidarity with the Kardashians. 
you hit it right on the snout, ladies. <laughs> I mean. As you always do. As you always do. It's just, yeah, the pigs are always going to eat. I mean, we are we are designed that way. So it, I, I'm just like, don't fucking poo poo my work away. Like, if y'all going to eat that shit, consume my shit. We're, everybody in this country is built to consume. They're going to fucking do it. But what the fuck are you consuming? And take a look at that plate before you get all 120 days of Sodom on that turd. Exactly. And (laughs) (laughs) And I I am so glad that Monet is not here because she loves, I don't know why, but she loves Kim Kardashian. Maybe it's a generational thing. But I've been thinking a lot about uh, not just not just I'm not a Kim Kardashian or any Kardashian fan, but Me neither. but um I I've been thinking about Americans and maybe especially gay people's relationship to celebrities lately. And you know, this is possibly I mean, like I, I've had to unfollow a bunch of friends who just I mean, you know. How are you posting about celebrities' birthdays, um, you know, who are dead? I mean, we have such a bizarre, worshipful relationship with celebrities. And I don't fault anyone who thinks, oh, Whitney Houston, you know, she was had the greatest, you know, singing voice in between hits of crack. Uh, you know, I, I mean, if, if you love what a celebrity does, then that's great. I mean, and obviously we're talking about celebrities who don't really do much like, you know, Kim Kardashian and her can her clan, but yet they are elevated. But we have an almost unhealthy relationship with celebrity. I mean, if we have always had an unhealthy relationship with celebrity, it's just that now, like I said, there are more celebrities and they're all crap. Like before they were at least contained within a yard and a Hollywood machine or something like you know, creating this narrative that we were all eating up stupidly, but it, it was a small yard. And now with technology and YouTubes and all of these little shitbags who can just jump on a thing and become a hoo-hoo like me, um, you know, it's, it's really, you have to question what the fuck is celebrity anymore? Yeah. Uh, oh, totally. I mean, what the fuck, like from celebrity from the, the days when, you know, the, the back in the, the days of Norma Desmond, your days. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, to the day, like, what the fuck does celebrity mean? Like, it, 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 well, I, I, think- I mean, it used to mean grounded in a talent which has el- caused their their profile to elevate. Now, of course, there were always Vanna Whites who were, did nothing but turn numbers on whatever that <laughs> TV show was. Wheel of Fortune. Wheel of Fortune. I'm so sorry. And, um, you know, uh, but now they just have to, like, sit up in a house as real housewives and argue about who's coming to a birthday party. Or, right. you know, I, I saw some uh, tweet from Kim Kardashian that was like, we're starting our such and such season and we wanted to hear from fans, you know, what would you like? Uh, more family issues? More, uh, you know, uh, I mean, she, she had a list. I don't even know if it said issues, but it was just like, s- sometimes like 
doing what people want, it may be uh, a, a path to success and you can't, you're not going to, you're unlikely to have success if you're doing nothing that people want. But at the same time, if, like if, if you're really, <laughs> you're an artist, you're a con, <laughs> you're a con artist, but you are an artist. Yes, uh, artist. The, the, I mean, are, are you an artist if you're just doing what people want or are you a hack? You're a fucking hack. <laughs> it's just like, it's just like those fuckers. Have you heard about these jackasses who are taking AI art and calling it their art? Taking AI art, I don't even know what that means. Artificial intelligence art. Oh, I don't even know what that is, so, girl. So get this shit, okay? This boils my turds. Okay, so like, this is just like this Kardashian shit, all this crap we're talking about. Like, they they have these apps on your telephone machine now, and it's like, a computer has been filled up with, like, say you took every image of art you could, and you put it inside of a computer. And then I go to the this thing, and I say, okay, I want... um. Angela Lansbury uh, selling drugs in a park in Istanbul. So the computer takes all the knowledge, all the images of art in the world, and it accesses all of that, and then it creates a fucking image of what I just typed into it, and you get the most surreal, fucked-up-looking picture you've ever seen in your life. It's kind of beautiful. Okay. But it was made by a fucking computer, but someone told that computer to make that image. They just put some words in it. Well, there are people now that are having art shows of their AI art. Okay. So basically, they're telling a computer to create an image based off of their words and there's this wild image that pops up, and they're selling that as their art. Do you think that's art? <laughs> Are you still trying to understand what intelligence means? <laughs> I know what artificial means. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not aware of this. I don't think that if they did not make it, it's not art. I mean, it's an old debate, isn't it? Like, if a, if a photographer... Is, is doing something like David LaChapelle and creating like this incredible backdrop and lighting and a costume for whoever who, who, who he's shooting, you know, then, then that's a photographer that takes, you know, some time with it. But if a photographer snaps a picture of you, just like, hey, you know, let me get a, 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 a paparazzi shot or whatever. I mean, you've done all the work. You're all they did is push the button. You have created the look. You are creating the pose. So it's it's kind of an old debate with a new computer twist on it. You know, yeah. I mean, I yeah. I guess um, I guess if if you go to an artificial intelligent art gallery and you see something that appeals to you maybe you don't care as much about who made it if you if you think it's going to look good in your dining room i don't know i don't know it's really tricky it's very tricky because also like whoever that photographer is that you're talking about who like shot the person stepping out of the car or whatever well i know what it looks like when i take a picture versus someone who knows angle and light and how to capture something that makes it look good so 
I think there is artistry in that photographer's taking of that image. I know the person in the image is doing the work, but if I take a picture, it looks like, it looks like, I don't know who took it. It looks like fucking Patty Duke took it or something. I don't know. Well, you just be glad that you didn't break the camera, whore. I, I should have sold the camera. Yes, you should have stolen it. <laughs> yeah. now, so, speaking of, uh, of uh, uh, this, uh, I'm not seeing the title of it, but this, there's a great article. Oh, yes. Uh, Life Lessons from Drag Queen of the Apocalypse. It gives your new album, Midnight Fuck Train, a rating of four and a half stars, which is great. And um, you talk a little bit about sex, saying you should be able to have sex and then fart in front of your partner, laughing Mm -hmm. about it together. It feels as though the pursuit of sex and connection has been boiled down to a list of things you must be on an app, and that's not fun. So so expand on that a little bit, like my waistline. Oh, my I mean, the uh, it's very tricky times now of, like, uh, getting on the machine and going shopping for dick or hold or dits or whatever the hell you want to shop for these days. Feces? Um, Feces, they do have that too. Feces, feces. Um, feces, feces in a bag, barnyard busting. <laughs> but there's, um, I, I find it very, uh, you know, strange. The And the, everyone is their own person. Everyone's got the, the way they like to shop. But I, I have the, the apps online, I think, are so contained within a regiment of like, being this way and that way and I don't want this or that. It's very like, you know, you're kind of hooking up once or maybe twice and finding the joy of farting on each other and laughing and being playful within those realms. I haven't discovered it. I don't I don't even succeed in the realms of shopping on apps. I think that, ooh, I just, I like the hunt. I like to try to go out in the public, I guess call me old fashioned, but I like to kind of go hunting for shit and taking some time in a public realm. But I think the... The apps are, of course, what they are today, and it's what people do today. But I have a problem with just the Sears catalog of of faces that I don't. I would never shop at Sears. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, I mean, I am not a a sex app user. Um, I I would do better. You like to get dick, huh? What do you do? Well, I mean, you hang, up, you hang like a piece of steak out your door, or I mean, no, I hang a piece of steak out my ass, but I'm mainly getting dogs. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, your neighborhood has lots of dogs. <laughs> um, you know, I I feel the same way you do. It's like I don't want to um to poo poo um the way that younger people find sex. And I know for a fact that Grindr is very convenient. Um, You know, I'm, uh, I'm 50 feet away. (laughs) I'm 20 feet away. Uh, I'm five feet away. And I'm your father. Uh, (laughs) I'm in the next room. Exactly. Right. Right. So, I mean, I find, I, I, I would never just meet somebody online without, like, even when I did Craigslist ten years ago for a year. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would always insist on talking to them because 
um, if you're not going to have the physical meetup um, in a bar or on the street or whatever, a park or whatever, then I, I really, I really, I can hear from their uh, accent, you know, exactly what I want to know. Like, are they, you know, are they pretending to be something that they're not? Is this yeah. a bullshit call from someone who's never going to come over? Is this someone pretending to be Puerto Rican because that's what my ad said? You know, is, I'm, it, is, I can, is it really your father? Right. Well, I mean, I'm not worried about that personally because I've had sex with my dad so many times. At a girl. Um, but only after he transitioned into my mom. Oh, good. Um, You're so ahead of the fucking, the whole wave of the future. Exactly, girl. Uh, Fuck your parents before they die. Yeah. That's my new uh, sexual goal. (laughs) Um, So, uh, yeah, I mean, I need to meet up with people. I I need the body language. I can't have you just showing up at my door and we've never even spoken. But speaking these days on the phone is something that is frowned on by many youth. Yeah, I know. It's, and, you know, I think the, it, the youth, it works for them. They are the computer generation. They are, everything's on the machine, you know? And I'm not going to poo-poo that, like you said. Like, I think also, like I was saying, it's personal. It's like I I said in that article, too, I was like, the ones who scream loudest about sex are the ones not having it. And I don't fuck around a lot. I look like a fucking raccoon with rabies. So, it's not like people are running up to jump on my dick and all that, but I have my own personal hangups with apps and such because I don't, I don't engage in relationships a whole lot. I don't, I'm not a trickster running around fucking all the time. I'm no good at cruising and shit like that. So my own insecurities or whatever, however I happen to feel are very, um, uh, did, uh, I, I have a the, deterrence of uh, I don't the, the the apps really confuse me and they 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 don't work with my needs in the way upon which I like to be intimate with someone. Uh, I like intimacy. I like creating, building some sort of something. But those apps are just like not the flavor of Baskin Robbins ice cream that's going to help me out with my dick problems. Right, right, and we all know that you need to fix your dick you desperately need to fix your dick i wrote a song about it. yeah i mean you could write a song about fixing your face too um uh, i would go platinum yeah yeah so yeah i hear what you're saying like i i mean as a as a former like wildly promiscuous slut I, um, like I say, I, y'all young people get sex, however you can get it. But what, what, what I find weird is that it boils down to showing a dick or a butthole. And there's so many other things that I need to know before you arrive at my door, rather than you have the kind of dick or butthole that I like. There's, there's, you know, what do you speak like? Do you sound like a complete moron? Because if you do, you're the only people who will be interested in me. You know, or, I mean, if you, do, do you sound like you're totally bullshit? Do you sound like you're on drugs? Do Are you hinting that, um, that you will bring, bring some drugs or that I will uh, you know, have some drugs. You know, I just yeah. I, I don't want y'all showing up at my door because people aren't in touch with with their hidden fantasies. So somebody that can say that they're into doing only one thing can actually you know want that done to them. So I I, yeah. I, I just find it. Um, I mean, there's also a, a level of danger 
in there because people have been killed with um, sex app tricks. Yeah, but there's danger everywhere. You can get danger when you were probably shopping for dick in the meatpacking district. True, true. Um, that's true. Yeah, that's true. When you're taking strangers into your home, I just, I guess I just, I don't know. I, I Like a picture of a big dick or a, 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 a cute butt can can turn you on. I just don't know how that just, how that just arrives at your door. I mean, I it arrives at the door, just like that Domino's pizza you order every night. It just shows up and it's there and it's a quick fix. I think. Yeah, but it doesn't have as much cheese on it as the Domino pizza. So I have to turn a lot of them away. That's true. And you can't fit that whole dick into your microwave. The whole person comes with it. That's right. So, That's right. <laughs> I think it's just, uh, I, 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 need, I need more than a quick dick right now. I, I personally want some fucking intimacy and, like I said, some farting and playing. And I can't get that inside of a man app right now. Uh-huh. So you're worried about uh, getting more sex, but you also want to be able to fart in front of your partner. Are those two <laughs> statements uh, incongruous? Or did you, yes, you can quote me on that. <laughs> um, I mean, maybe you fart in front of a partner that you've had for a while, but you don't actually give them that business the first date. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I'm not looking for I'm not looking for a butt sniffer. I just want a fart a fart friend. Yeah, oh, this is really gonna come out. I'm never getting fucked now. Well, so if you did meet someone and you don't care for the apps, would that be on the street on a, at a club? Yeah, I tend my favorite thing. I'm a very very patient patient feral cat. So I I love. Touring. I love going to events all the time. I try to go. I live in New York City now. I think this city is fucking amazing. And so I really try to go to as many shows as I can of my friends or openings and things like that. And I really like to meet people in environments upon which, the environments that I find interesting or fascinating or fun. And, and, Sooner or later, you start running into many familiar faces if you continue to put the effort in to go out and, and be a part of the world. So I try to rustle up the courage to kind of put a check mark on many of the faces that I might see out there that I find entertaining or sexy or whatever. There's chemistry. I believe in chemistry still. So I just try to make myself out in public and good rooms as much as I can and keep track of who's showing up and why they're there. And then I try to talk to them. I mean, if you're in a room with me and I'm talking to you and I keep putting my arm, my hand on your arm and rubbing you while I talk to you, that pretty much means that we, I want to fuck. Uh, no, honey, that means that you have monk, they have get, they've contracted monkeypox. Yeah, that also means they're going to go home with a rash, but I still want to fuck you. So, is what you're saying that that you, because obviously you're saying that you, you, you look at people who come to your shows and, you know, connect with them and, and if, if um, if there's you know an, an interest in hooking up with something, uh, hooking up with them, then that that might come from that. I've got two questions. So the whole the whole thing of grinder and sex apps is that it's anonymous, like pretty much anonymous until you get to the door, and yeah. and then the 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 other thing is, would uh, Christine's? I'm not suggesting that you change it, but would Christine's look? And Christine's confidence 
almost make prospective suitors who you did meet at your shows wonder how that is it like a, a blockade yeah. Be- because oh, yeah. a lot of people want people who are vulnerable, and that is the last thing that Christine seems. No, totally. I uh, Many of my friends have been like, girl, look at yourself and look at what you do. Like, that's why you ain't getting laid. People are scared of you or whatever. They're blocking, you're cock blocking yourself or something. And I, that is why I like to, like, kind of was saying, but like, I, I will see, many times I'll see that person or something over at, a, at another venue, at another event or something like that. And if there is chemistry, then usually we keep talking and the next time we see each other or in pursuit of that first time, we just hang out a little longer. And most people who know me, most people who've hung out with me know that on stage, I'm, I'm a pretty wild fucking animal, but off stage, I love to hang out in the room before and after my shows and shit. And I'll sit and talk. And I'm a very, I'm a very gentle little bird <laughs> on the, uh, when I'm not on stage. So, well, the only I thing the only thing I can imagine that might not work with that is that people never go to your shows twice. Yeah, that's that's why I gotta go to their shows. <laughs> you know, you barely been to my show once. Oh, yeah, please. <laughs> now you know why I don't want to tour. Yes, exactly. From this Guardian interview, which I recommend that anyone interested in learning more about Christine uh, look up. It is called Life Lessons from Drag Queen of the Apocalypse. And that is in the UK Guardian, Christine. It's an album review that gives you four and a half stars, which is pretty great. Uh, so you you talk about post-Trump politics, and I'll just read what you said in the article, and then you can add anything you want. One thing that alarmed me the most during Trump's presidency was the... Let me try to say that with an English <laughs> in English. One thing that alarmed me the most during Trump's presidency was the amount of rallies he threw. People can really get to know each other at a rally. It's all very involved. I saw then that he was building his future. People laughed at the rallies or at or at not as many people showing up as Trump would say. But we're now seeing how many dedicated soldiers there are in his army. We're in a perfect cocktail for extreme right-wing fuckery between media and social media moving into more billionaire hands. I won't let myself be hopeless, but that cloud is hanging over a lot of people's Heads. So the things that interested me uh, about this statement is that it is so rare for people who are on the left to even admit that even though they don't like his policies or party, they can see that he's got charisma. And and that these rallies were important. Um, you know, I've never supported a Republican and I would never support him. But like I saw a snippet of his speech where he mentioned that he sped up vaccine production and the crowd booed because his crowd is, I guess, largely anti-vax. And so, so then a few months later, he gave a speech that said... Um, yes, I helped to create the um, uh, 
treatment. I know I, I, I was going to say vaccines, but I know you don't like that word. And everyone howled. So I think a lot of the left is so eaten up with their hatred of Trump that they don't understand that that's taking a negative, i.e., I created the vaccines you don't believe in. And just by saying you don't like to hear me say that word, it's kind of a genius way to say I created the vaccines, but you don't want to hear the word. I mean, he's he's he is effective. I mean, the fool had no political experience whatsoever, a game show host, and, you know, he was able to win, you know? Yeah. It, it, it's you know, I think that, um, and I was talking about that, but the, it, it, I get really tired of, you know, how the media and people are like, oh, haha, look at that rally. Like, oh, the TikTokers did this fun thing where they made him think that the rally was going to be full and it wasn't full of people. Oh, ha ha ha. That's so funny. And like all of these kinds of things. And I was like, y'all understand that he that doesn't matter. Like he's throwing these rallies all the fucking time. Like we're not discussing what actually is happening underneath all of these, these ha-has y'all having and picking, picking on him. Um, and how the news and Twitter people on Twitter, they love to just come up with these really witty phrases of, you know, how to pick on him, how to make him look a fool and things. But I'm like, well, he's actually pulling this shit off. So y'all, y'all sitting here picking on him, but y'all, y'all picking on his body, on his skin, on his crowd numbers, all his family. You're picking and picking and picking. It's easy to do, but he's actually accomplishing some shit here that we're not talking about because y'all are too busy picking so you could have a voice on this news channel. So, yeah, I don't know. The, the rallies were. I'm from the south. You're from the south. Um, it's those fucking rallies, those fucking. It's very uh, easy to get people in that room like that. Throw in a snake oil charming salesman motherfucker like him, and and bring these people together and really, really lock them in. And that's all he did that whole presidency. And and I I, I just kept watching it, and I was like, fuck, man, like that's a big team of of people following him now, and 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 now they're all voting for these Marjorie Taylors and all these jack fuck whack nuts who um, are going to, they're going to do whatever they're told. Yes. I mean, another, here's an example that I always give when Trump had those basketball players to the White House and served them hamburgers, McDonald's and whatnot on silver platters. And, you know, a lot of my friends who are, you know, uh, I'm not going to say that they are elites, but they read the the Northeastern, uh, you know, uh, New York Times, you know, the 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 Chicago Tribune, LA. I mean, this this is a liberal, you know, Democrat bubble that you and I live in in New York City, and I, I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, y'all, do you not know while you're mocking him for being trashy? that this may well be what these basketball players are eating. I mean, there's a reason that McDonald's is the most popular restaurant in the country, and you are so like, oh, their food's not good, or oh, I don't support chains, or oh, I support locally sourced, that you do not understand that this is how America eats. So that really wasn't 
the dunk that they thought it was. No, and it's it, again, like <clears throat> the, the shit that the Republicans have accomplished, you don't just do that overnight. There's some intelligent motherfuckers making these fucking strategies to accomplish what they've accomplished. And that, I believe, is part of the strategy. It's like, fuck yeah. I know most people in the southern states that I have lived in, been through, and spent long times in, if you handed that fucker a quarter pounder on a silver platter, they would marry your dick. <laughs> That's like giving them a ring from Tiffany's and taking them out to the Russian tea room. Yeah, yeah. And I bought your album. I did not. I will not stream it because I do support you. You bought my album? Yes, today. Oh my God, you poor, poor thing. You know, how are you gonna eat how are you gonna eat tonight? Jesus. Uh finding food has not been an issue so far. <laughs> um, uh, so you are you you don't really like the term drag queen. No. Why? Well, because it's a fucking stamp now. Like I, I it's so easy, like we were talking about earlier. It's like I don't feel like I want to be thrown into that box of of, of uh, identity. It's too easy. I, it's, it, you know, I don't want. I'm much more complex than just slapping a drag queen on my head. I'm in the drag family. I I'm like if you go home for the holidays, all your all the drag queens go home for the holidays. I'm the cousin that shows up, and they're like, "Oh, we're related to her," and I eat all the food and leave. Um, I I don't I don't. It's not that I dislike drag. I think it's fucking beautiful. But I do dislike the ease upon which people just put a stamp on something and say, oh, that's that. Put it over there. Okay, next. Right. And I think that with the television and and the very double-edged sword, the, the wonderful um, exposure of, of the realm of, of gender illusion and... and, and Dressing up and as a female and all this drag shit and uh, kids at home are seeing this on the TV. I think that's great. I think it's wonderful, but I think it's also dangerous not to understand the complexities of that art form. And um, I don't think people take much time to even go there anymore. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I'm I'm not sure that you know. <laughs> <laughs> Drag Race and its many uh, shows are really looking for complexity. I'm glad that you provide it. <laughs> I, like the, I like complex things. And I, I, I like, I just feel like, I don't feel like, I, I am not one of those drag queens on the TV shows. I, I, I would never do a TV show like that. It's not something I, I like, but but the way the world is right now and the the aversion I have to being called a drag queen is that the public that we have been speaking of for some time now and the brains of these people, you just, they see that and that's where the brain goes immediately. If you go see my show and you see me perform live with this band, it is not a drag show. I am not lip syncing, but the, the brain of many people are going to say, oh, I saw that she's a drag queen. Therefore, just like that AI machine is building that art we were talking about, the, the human brain's going to go tick, 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 tick. Oh, 
okay, this person has foam hips, big tits, big lips, and they're going to be lip syncing on this stage with uh, pink, a lot of pink, and da da da, da. Like, it, that's not me. And so to well, give me that name, I, I think it cheats me. I mean, to, listen, I mean, even, even for me, uh, you know, the, the, it, it's like if I perform in venues that are venues for the current, you know, crop of, of drag race people, you know, I, they will sit. And if every queen does it, they will lose their minds if they do a death drop. And it's like a, a feat of physical dexterity, which I can't do. I probably will drop dead soon and maybe on stage. But I'm, it's just like, if, if, if you, if everything is a death drop, I mean, how mindless of, of, of that. I've had shows where, and this has mainly happened overseas, so there may be a language thing where um, they they're so used to one kind of of lip sync drag that they don't even understand that I'm doing song parodies and singing different lyrics. I mean, hey, if you want to bop along to, uh, you know, the music, that's great. But I would love it even more if they would understand that some drag queens will cause you to think. Yeah, exactly. And I I am not saying <clears throat> I love I know many of the crones on RuPaul's drag race. They're friends of mine. Um and I'm not belittling that. I'm just saying that like we're saying, there are so many different rooms in this house of this art form of drag. And it has just all funneled itself down to that show and the experience because it's on television. And television, I mean, go watch Network in 1976 with Faye fucking Dunaway. Like, it's just the television's gonna fucking train your brain, just like Trump and the news station. So everyone's been trained to think that drag is what that television told them it was. Right. I love what, I love what many of my fucking girlfriends are doing on that show. Uh, I think there's some of the most talented fuckheads around in that that room that they're in. Uh, I just think, uh, for me, it's very easy for a journalist or someone to say, oh, this is a drag queen because this person is dressing up in this way and wearing this. And I'm just like, no, you, you need to put a little more thought into that headline you just slapped on for the whole fucking world to see. Yeah, you know, some of my issue... When I see, especially the drag race performers or even other local queens that aren't on drag race, is that they will have a million dollar edgy look that could be, you know, high fashion, androgynous, uh, burlesque, you know, and, I mean, they look like a million bucks and they're, and they can look really edgy, but then they lip sync to top 40. Honey, that's not, that's not edgy. That's that's, that's like that's the most obvious thing you can do. But that's when the edgy ones shine because they don't do that. That's right, and and you do say in the Guardian article, um, the that the perks are that children can see drag on TV, which you know, I mean, that helps everything from ticket sales to um, destigmatizing drag to, you know, just opening people up to different gender roles, especially now that they have trans people in there. But you say, um, 
I'm always a bit concerned with a young person getting thrust into the world of reality-based TV that's designed very similarly to Miss America. Yeah. And 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 yes, it is a pageant. And it's it's, it's a it's, pageant. It's, and and I mean, you know, you're not gonna find uh any winners that are not attractive and extremely well put together. Well, I mean, I really miss the days when I would go, I remember I'd, I'd go to Barracuda in Chelsea and Monday night was Candace Kane, Tuesday night was Mona Foot, Wednesday night was Shaquita, Thursday night was Cachetta, Friday night they didn't have anybody and none of those nights had anything to do with competition. But the only one that you liked was Friday when they didn't have anyone because yeah, well Friday was Jackie B, but they fired her ass. <laughs> <laughs> but like none of those queens were competing. The, the the way that competition has permeated the realm of the art form of performance is very concerning to me. Where especially when you got judges who ain't never even put a fucking wig on before on that television show. Get out of my fucking face. Don't tell me how to do that. Um, you leave Ross Matthews and Carson Kressley alone. Let me take them to dinner some night. I'll give them a piece of my old mind and turkey leg. Ooh. But, uh, yeah, I don't, the, the, I love watching performers who do drag perform. I don't give a fuck who's better or worse or competitive and blah, blah, blah. And that always made me kind of sad that the, uh, Miss America pageant on TV found its way into the club. I didn't like that. Yes, I didn't like it when it... I don't like... I mean, it's one thing to have a popular drag TV kind of like pageant show, but the then I see clubs that are doing like, you know, their own drag competitions, and they did that before Drag Race to some degree. Um, to some degree, You yeah. know, one of those shows you mentioned at uh, Barracuda was Star Search, which was a long running thing. I mean, it was, it was, it was a bit of a goof on pageants because often the winners would be, you know, quite counterculture and, and, and freaky. Yeah. So it wasn't like a, you know, how glitzy can, can we be? But yeah, I, I, I definitely see what you're saying. I mean, how on Drag Race, they, the two queens com, who compete against each other doing the same lip sync number at the same time. And it's like, you know, I, I I don't think that that's even a, a way that makes sense to compete because not all people, if it's a country number or Broadway number, the white queens might get it better. If it's a hip hop number, you know, the, the, the black queens might get it better. But it also forces everyone into this uh, narrow mindset of you have to lip sync when some of the most popular drag race winners, uh, Bianca, Bob, uh, Alaska, they've Jinx, they've gone on to record original music, sing live on tour and, you know, stuff like that. So it's just, it's like, I, I don't want to have to pick between Christine doing her drag terrorist thing and uh you know some black queen eating the shit out of a patty labelle lip sync because they're both 
great, but they're both very different. And uh, one has no live element. One is not a celebrity impersonation. And one is, you know, so it's, 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 um, I don't like the competition aspect because it compares people. Yeah. 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 I mean, let, let, let them be great in their own space. Exactly. Yes, exactly. So are you going to agree with me at the end of this interview? This is throwing oh my me God, off. Yes. Anything to end it. No, no, no. No, we're not going to end without discussing your song from your new album called Low Paid Runway Model. Oh, yeah. Okay. Here are the beginning lyrics. Forgive me if I don't say them in your trademark <laughs> growl. Uh, Daddy always said rabbits break their backs if you hold them in the air when they're making tracks. What does that mean? It means, you think, oh, if you hold, this is true. If you hold, you know how rabbits kick their legs. A I am a rabbit. Yeah, exactly, bunny. You need to know this shit. So if you pick up, if no one's picking you up, if you pick <laughs> up, if you pick up a rabbit, and they start to kick their legs quickly, you must immediately put them down because if they kick, if you're holding onto them and they start kicking, they will actually they can break their back, they can really harm themselves, and and so. I took it as a kind of very nice metaphor, too, for, you know, if someone wants to get the fuck away from you, then you should let them go. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, if somebody picks me up and I'm kicking my legs up, you better fuck me, not put me down. Well, that's what I'm <laughs> there are different, yes, different breeds of rabbit, but we'll let National Geographic take care of that. So you were thinking of me when you penned I these lyrics. Yes, I was thinking of you. You were thinking yeah. of my back being broken. <laughs> yes, anything to get rid of you. <laughs> <laughs> and so then the, the lyrics continue. Been a long time since I've seen you around like them cats at Miss Mabel's. Now, maybe everyone else knows what Ma Miss Mabel's are, but I don't. Tell me what they are. Oh, no. Miss Mabel's is a place. It's a, a, a in Louisiana that I've been to. And there's a woman named Miss Mabel. And she had a fishing, like, kind of like a place you go, a camp, camping place where you go fishing and stuff. And uh, there were all, always some ragtag cats hanging out at Miss Mabel's fishing camping grounds. And so I'm, refer I'm referencing an actual place. Well, honey, I'm glad I asked you because uh, if you don't know Miss Mabel's. <laughs> yeah, no, no, Miss Mabel's is a real place. <laughs> well, I mean, listen, sometimes uh, with poetry like this, you might have to Google a reference and inform yourself. You're a very classy lady. I wish you all the best with your brand new album, Midnight Fuck Train, which is on Space. What, what's the name of the record company? Oh, yeah, Space Flight Records. Space Flight Records. It came out November 11th. Where will you be touring it, and where can people find you online? Uh, the best place to find me, and the most fun I have, is on that Instagram shit, and it's uh, Christine underscore official. And, and I will be doing a show. By the time this comes out, I will have done it here in New York City. We're about to do a... Uh, album release show on Wednesday. And then after that, I'm going to start planning to hit the United States in the spring. So just keep your eyes and your holes open. And 
Uh, I hope they see you in the spring in, in the, your small shitty town. Well, what about um uh, videos? Are they out now? We got a music video that my friend Michael Feswick made. It's called. It's for that song called Gut It, and it's out right now. And I'm talking to some folks right now about the next one, so you'll probably be seeing a video very early next year as well. Well, since it is Christmas season, if you have fallen in love with Christine, the drag terrorist, does Christine have any merchandise that might be suitable for Christmas gift-giving? Yeah, you can go to... um, uh, when you're at that Instagram shit, you click on that link up top. It'll take you to my store. And I've always got some fucked up homemade, handmade stuff. And we're about to release some brand new shirts as well, which will be up by the time people hear this crusty, crusty fucking podcast. <laughs> well, all the best to you, Crustine. You too, Piggy Wiggy. And uh, have a wonderful holiday season. And I have already listened to your album, but I will be putting it back on. And my prediction is that Fix Your Dick, the remix version on this new album, is going to take the underground club scene by storm. Thank you for cursing my album. (laughs) Bye, bitch. Bye, bitch. Here we go. Network.